The Economic War Room is here at CPAC once again, and you meet the most amazing, remarkable people, great speakers, great time here in Dallas. Uh, one of my friends and one of my favorite people is here with us. He was working at the, the Patriot Mobile has a booth here, and the American Journey Experience has some artifacts here. And this is none other than the legendary Tim Barton, the, the son of David Barton. But, you know, I've been on Capitol tours with, with his father, and I've been on with him. I love Tim's tours best. This guy knows history, he knows America, loves America, and he's brought with him some artifacts that we're gonna show you. And I'll tell you why that's important economically, but welcome, Tim. Thanks so much, good to be with you. Hey, good to have you here. Now, you were with us in our Irving studio. Yes. Now you're here in Dallas. We need to have you come out to Argyle and see the Liberty Hawk Ranch. I would love to do it. So, anyway, you're here. You're, what are you, are you speaking at CPAC? Is your dad speaking? Or? Uh, no, we are uh, just connecting with some, some different groups. Uh, and so, as you know, working some things behind the scenes a little bit along the way. Yep. Uh, so trying to advance the cause of liberty. Uh, we appreciate that. So we're not speaking here either, but we're meeting great people like you. And it, just walking through the booths and just people coming up, you know, we've met NSIC advisors that were trained in Hawaii, came up and got to meet for the first time. Because they're at Liberty University, it's online. Mm -hmm. So they get we train them in our advisor training program. But it's great to see you here. Thank you, I'm, I'm so glad to be with you today. All right, so you've got a couple articles here. I want you to share those with us, but then I want to talk to you about how we can turn America around. America was founded right. I'm convinced of that, but I don't think most Americans are convinced of that. So help, help me make that case. Well, and one of the things I would say too is important is the reason you're convinced of that is you've seen enough original documents that are true that would give the indication of that. And the reason that matters is we're not just convinced because we feel strongly enough, because the truth should be more important than how we feel, and the truth should shape how we feel. And so what we do at Wall Builders is we spend time going through original documents. Because even though we might love an individual from history, they could be an incredible hero, if we find documents that reveal they're not as incredible of a hero as we thought, we have to be open to the fact that we need to be honest about who people were and what they did, and that's where history and the original documents can help reveal that. So some of these documents I have, uh, I'll start with this one. This is a document showing John Hancock. He is shaking the like hand. Like the John Hancock. Sign Correct. your John Hancock here. That's the one. Yep. Declaration. He was the governor of Massachusetts. And this is from 1790 uh, to 93 era. And they were hosting an equality ball Say in Massachusetts. Again. Hosting an equality ball equality. That's in a Massachusetts. Big, that's a popular buzz term today. It's a big buzz Apparently word. Apparently in the 1790s, it was also a term. It was a thing, right? Correct. And one of the things that I would encourage people, that when, when we learn American history today, so often we hear that America was racist because the 1619 Project and critical race theory, the way it's being taught today is people are learning America's evil and racist. The reality is America went a very different direction than most people know. If people went back and read the original draft, of the Declaration of Independence, the largest grievance on the original draft of the Declaration was a grievance against the slave trade and arguing for the humanity of the slaves. Well, the king actually had struck down a lot of early anti-slavery laws, which is one of the reasons people thought we should separate from the king. All that to say is when we actually do separate in 1776, every single northern colony began passing laws for the abolition of slavery. And so at this point, in Massachusetts, slavery has already been abolished, which is why it also makes sense that these are free blacks joining with free whites. And John Hancock is shaking the hand of the wealthiest black man in America. His name was Paul Cuffey. Some say it was Paul Cuffey. 
I don't know how he pronounced it. I wasn't there. I know how it's spelled. Uh, but what you do see is there's a very different mentality from a lot of history than we see. So you have John Hancock, who signed the Constitution, now here in this in this what what do you call this a lithograph? So yeah, so this was uh, this was a lithograph. The way it was done, uh, so early picture. Uh, so the way it was printed is a lithograph. But that's a picture of an equality ball. This shaking hands demonstrating equality. Correct. Yeah. Yes, in 1790. And, and then 1790. So 1792, 93 is that era. This is a signed document from Benjamin Franklin. At this point, he is the governor. They call the president. We would call him a governor of Pennsylvania. Sure. But what's significant, even in this conversation of equality, Benjamin Franklin was originally a slave owner that no historian considers racist. Why? Because not only does Franklin free his slaves, and in 1797, he is at the Constitutional Convention, at the time of the Constitutional Convention, he's actually the president of the Pennsylvania Abolition Society to end slavery in America. So you have founding fathers who have gone a very different direction than the modern narrative is today. Right. And, and one of the reasons we should be much more celebratory, we, we should be much more proud to be Americans, even about our founding fathers, if we actually knew who they were and what they did. This, I think, is probably one of the more unique things. This is the ring. Inside the ring, there is hair. The hair is from George Washington on his deathbed. Martha cut off a lock of hair, gave it to, this specific lock went to Alexander Hamilton, and this ring it's in was known as a mourning ring. This was a, a pretty mourning common- Mourning like you're mourning because they passed. Mourning their loss. Yeah. It was a pretty common thing that maybe for an ancestor or loved one, you would have a lock of hair and you would have this mourning ring to remember and honor them. Well, this ring, it's believed it was either Alexander Hamilton's wife or his daughter that had this mourning ring made. But what we know for sure is it was George Washington's hair given to Alexander Hamilton and the Hamilton family made this ring. So it's an incredible piece that of history. That is unreal. That from, is George Washington's hair right. right there at his deathbed. Correct. That belonged to Alexander Hamilton. Which is, yeah. So this really cool connection. Yeah. And this is stuff like we love American history and we know America is a lot more special than most people realize today. And we love studying the original documents because it reveals the true history that even though the founding fathers weren't perfect, they're also not guilty of most of the sins they're being accused of today. And so we try at Wall Builders to recover that history. Well, I think it's interesting. You're showing 1790s Massachusetts where they were doing the opposite of being racist. They were promoting genuine equality. Correct. And yet I, I read Bill Russell's commentary from Massachusetts uh, when he died. It came back out into the press talking, complaining about the racism that existed in Massachusetts. You know, we've seen a flip there because the southern states at this point would decry equality, hating it and the northern states embracing it, it's kind of flipped a little bit because a lot of people that I know say, you know, the southern states are less racist in some ways than the northern states. Very much so. And what I also would point out is that's probably a recognition of Democrat strongholds and Republican strongholds because the Republican values, that was, that was the party of equality. And so where you have more Republicans, or in some cases where you have more Christianity is probably the better value probably system, the better. right? But in these Democrat strongholds, well, absolutely. The most racist cities in America are the ones controlled by the Democrats. That's astounding. Well, we're gonna have to take a break. But when we come back, we'll talk more with Tim Barton. And I wanna talk about the future of America, not just the past. Okay, Tim, right before the break, you made an important point. You noted that in those areas where the Democrats and really atheism, anti-Christ attitudes take control, those cities, 
those tend out to be the most racist. It, it's very interesting. So there's several points I think are probably worth unfolding. Uh, as someone who grew up in the country, I grew up on a farm. Relatively speaking, I mean, we traveled a lot with my dad going and speaking, but we always had horses and, and our grandparents had cows and we had sheep and there was dogs and cats. So we, we grew up in the country. You will never find an atheist who grew up and lives in the country. It, it just doesn't happen, right? Because it, one of the things the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans is that creation itself testifies to the fact there's a God. If you live in the country, you know there's a God. Now, you might not like him, you might not serve him, but you know there is one. In the city, if all you've ever seen are man-made things, if you've never seen the night sky and, and you haven't heard the night sky giving testimony to the fact there is a God, it's only in cities you can be an atheist. Well, in the midst of that, we know there's only a couple options for a nation. And as a nation, you either have a big God or you have a big government. Oh, true. So if there is no God, you have to, by default, have a big government. And so if there is no God, your value system also changes. And this is what you see in the cities where the largest cities that are Democrat-controlled and Democrat-run, it's not for the good of the people. It doesn't benefit the individual and it doesn't help those in need. Instead, the Democrats, they use slavery to oppress people and to build their own power structure. Well, now Democrats are using things like welfare and, and the government incentive programs to oppress people and use it to build their own power structure. But genuinely speaking, you, you don't find those same mentalities where you find more rural, more conservative, more Christian, more Republican areas. You don't find the same secular, godless, or racist things that you do in these Democrat-controlled cities. All right, I'm gonna to pull together two things that you talk about. One is being on the farm, and the other is how you sell people into slavery on the notion of, we'll give you this benefit or whatever. And those come together in George Orwell's book, Animal Farm. Yes. Where you sell, oh, Farmer Brown is evil, we've got to, was it Jones, I think, Farmer Jones is evil, we gotta remove him. Uh, and, and the pigs take over. Right. Because all animals are equal. All are equal, but some are more equal than others. Which means we're in charge right. and you're inferior. Right. And that's, I mean, the whole history, the eugenics movement, the whole Darwin idea uh, has led to things like Planned Parenthood yes. and eliminating uh, the inferior races, even though we're telling them we're supporting you and helping you they're really viewing human beings as some more superior and some more inferior based solely on skin color. You're right. And one of the also shocking things along, you, you mentioned Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, so let me, let me go there for a second. What is shocking about that too is there is a letter from a German official who worked for Hitler who wrote to thank Margaret Sanger for her work in eugenics because it gave them the foundation for what they were hoping to accomplish in their German eugenics program. Literally, Hitler took Margaret Sanger's ideas and expanded and really institutionalized those. Margaret Sanger, incredibly racist, and even the idea that America, that, that Americans could be partially guilty for some of the evil that happened there, that's actually true. Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, far more evil than most people realize and what they were trying to accomplish. You know, I had an interview with Dr. Carson recently, and Dr. Carson said, it, animals, have different brain structures, and so they just have to react to the very superficial characteristics. Human beings 
have very sophisticated brains and we can actually study the content of one's character rather than the color of one's skin. And so why are we asking people in critical race theory to judge everyone solely based on the color of their skin and not the content of their character? It's a profound thought and question, which he's such a good thinker, but it's absolutely right. If you look back historically, there are some incredible heroes that today would be villains because they have the wrong color of skin, and there's people that we would celebrate that actually are villains because of the color of their skin. The color of the skin doesn't give you a good indication of the content of someone's character, which of course, he's referencing MLK's famous I have a dream speech, where the right. dream was that one day my daughters will live in a place where they're not judged by the skin, but by the content of their character, which is also similar to what the Bible says, like in Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, they were divided not based on the color of their skin, but based on how they treated other people. The content of their character is how God divided them up. That is a biblical, it's a practical, it's a Republican value idea that is based on biblical principles that today we are rejecting in society. And it's an intellectual idea. Correct. It is a sophisticated brain that can accomplish that. So you follow the science, the science of humanity and the science of our brains allows us to judge not by, don't judge a book by its cover, don't judge a person by the color of their skin, but instead there are distinctions we can make. They're Correct. good, there's evil. Some people act for the good of humanity and others act for the evil. Well, and, and even in the midst of this, it's also one of the things because we are intelligent and we can understand and cipher things, there's also context that surrounds it because we can look back and go, they did what that person is terrible, right? If you look back, at someone who was in the medieval times and there's some knight and we go, they kill people with a sword, they're evil. Well, wait a second, then maybe there's more context because if there's wars and, and everybody has swords and everybody's fighting, when you divorce people from context, which happens a lot these days, it makes them appear uniquely evil when the reality is so like Noah, right? Who Noah, the Bible says God chose him because he was a righteous man. Well, after the ark lands on Mount Ararat, he gets off, he planted a vineyard, he got drunk and passed out naked. The Bible says he was the most righteous one there was, but what it says in Genesis 6, 9 is he was blameless in his generation, which doesn't say he was blameless. He was blameless in his generation. So it's a so comparative it's scale, right? It's not that he was perfect, but he was just better than everybody else who was more jacked up than he was. George Washington wasn't perfect, but he was arguably the most honorable world leader anywhere in that era because of what he was doing. Not that he's perfect, he had some major flaws, although again, major's relative, but he was the best leader, the most honorable leader in the world at that time. But if you judge him out of the context of his time, he looks less than he actually was. You know what, I think it's interesting, but the American experiment is an argument against the idea that you're born into this family, therefore you should rule. Instead, it was the people, we yes. the people that rule, yes. as opposed to the control of the few elite over the rest of us. And I think that's what the elite hates so much about America. I, I think you're right. That, that the fact that they can't have a power structure, which is, of course is why we see the move towards socialism and Marxism and communism, because the idea of like the zoo, well, everybody's taken care of, but there's always a zookeeper who controls who gets what, and socialists, the communist Marxists of the elitists know that it's not a bad structure as long as you're the one in charge, because then you're the one in control. Again, we're back to animal farm. That's All it. animals are equal. The pigs, however, deem themselves as more equal than others. Right. And that's why I have these dynasty families that dominate politics. That, that, that's a little um, American elitism that we need to avoid. I totally agree.
All right, we need to take another break. When we come back, let's talk about how America is exceptional and what that means. Tim, we've been talking about the difference of America and every other nation. Uh, it was traditional, medieval times, that you had a ruling class and then you had the serfs, you had everybody else. Uh, and, and the idea of wealth didn't come from what you created or what you accomplished, it came by what your last name was. Right. How is America different? What, what made the founders want to do something different? Because they were in the elite, weren't they? Well, so it, it goes back to this notion of the laws of nature and nature's God, that they believe God revealed truth in two ways, through creation and through his word. And in creation and God's word, everything was individual responsibility. And actually, even the idea that all the founding fathers were elites, because I hear people say, well, they were all these rich, wealthy landowners. Well, you have to go no further than Sam Adams to realize they weren't all rich and wealthy. Uh, Sam Adams was an incredible patriot, incredible voice, a leader of the Sons of Liberty. That dude was broke, and every business venture he ever tried failed. When he was chosen to go to the Continental Congress, he was chosen because he was such a good communicator. He was so passionate and fiery about liberty, about truth, about biblical principles. But his community was embarrassed of the way he looked because he only had one suit and it was ragged and he only had one pair of stockings that had holes in it. They took up a collection for him. They bought him a new suit. They bought him five pairs of stockings and the community was even kind of poor. And so he did not have his own horse or his own carriage. They didn't have horses to loan because they were using them on the farms. They wrote John Adams' cousin and they asked John Adams if he would load Sam a horse. So Sam did not have to walk to get to the Continental Congress. So what you're telling me is, is that he was judged on his capabilities, not on his birthright, his name, the money that he had. Correct. So he wasn't an elite. And among the founding fathers, you have some who were attorneys, you have some who were teachers or professors, some who were pastors like a John Witherspoon, some I mean, across the board, farmers. This was not- Even Jefferson wasn't extremely wealthy. He had a lot of debts, didn't he? Correct. When he married his wife, uh, he in today's dollars would have been several million dollars worth of debt that he inherited. Back then it was over $100,000 that he inherited. And certainly if you even look at the founding fathers, sometimes people say, but they were so wealthy. We point out, it's, it's not just about who has money, which of course I am totally in favor of wealth, right? And obviously you are supportive in those regards, but it's what people do with their money. And when you look at the founding fathers, you have guys like uh, uh, Robert Morris or uh, guys like Haim Solomon. You have guys uh, like uh, uh, Gilman or uh, I'm trying to think. There's a guy that's watching wrote a letter to and his name's going to come in a minute. But they literally use their money to fund their local state militias. And so their wealth is what allowed the revolution to go on because at that time, Congress didn't have the power to tax. So they couldn't even fund the military. So the military was funded by individuals who took out loans and used their wealth. So people sometimes would point out, but they, they were wealthy. They invested in liberty. They did, and they were repaid with freedom, but they never got their money back. Yeah. So they But they were promoting what we promote. We don't promote ESG, and I know you know a lot about Absolutely. ESG. We promote liberty, security, and values. People should be investing in those things. We hope they'll get their money back too. Uh, a lot of this ESG, I'm not sure they'll get there. So no. Leandra, perfect example, perfect ESG right. stock and complete miserable failure. Correct. Yes. So Thomas Nelson Jr. was the name I was trying to think of earlier. He funded the militia in Virginia. But the point is they pledged their lives, their fortunes and sacred honors. And so the founding fathers come from a variety of classes. But this is where in the Declaration, the first governing document in the history of the world to make the claim that all men are created equal. Because under the king, there's lords and nobles. He gives them land. And the serfs and the peasants work for the lords and nobles. And they said, no, we're doing it different here. 
because they understood God made us all, we're all created equal in God's image, and God doesn't have a hierarchy power structure of people. It was a very uniquely American idea rooted in biblical truth. It, it, it is an exception to the rule, or exceptional. Correct. And American exceptionalism, we're not claiming we're better, smarter, brighter, more talented than any other nation. We're just saying our system is an exception to the rule. Yes. We do it differently than others have done, and it's turned out pretty well. It's, it's had the best results of any nation where the average length of Constitution in world history is 17 years. And every single September 17th on Constitution Day, we set a new world record. We're 230 plus years into ours. Guinness should show up every year. Right? No other nation has been more stable, more secure, more prosperous, or more free. And of course, over the last several decades, we've seen struggles on lots of levels. Absolutely, we have to fight to preserve our freedom, our stability, our prosperity. We have to restore biblical principles. But our founding fathers gave us a foundation for success. We just have to return to that foundation. Well, you know, I, I've, I've written a new book, it's called According to Plan, and it talks about the elites that we talked about, the pigs of Animal Farm, but it, it, it prescribes as its solution reteaching America about how exceptional our nation is. Yes. Not that Americans are better. We are not better. How could we be better right. than the rest of the world? We are the rest of the world. Right. Right. But we teach, if we teach American exceptionalism the right way, we have an exceptional system. It's founded on Judeo-Christian principles, founded on the thoughts of the Bible. And they were not evil men that founded this nation. They were good and decent men, probably the exceptional men of the time. Correct. Yeah. So uh, how do we teach patriotism? How can we get this word out? Tell me what Wall Builders is doing. Well, so first of all, it sounds like we need to get your book and everybody needs to read your book to restore some of this patriotism. But at Wall Builders, we try to present the forgotten history and heroes by just relearning these people. Because there were 56 guys who signed the declaration. Most people can't even name five of the signers of the declaration. So if we don't even know who they were, how do we know they were all bad, evil people? So we try to go back and reintroduce who they were, telling their story. And what you realize is even though they weren't perfect, they were some of the most honorable, courageous, even godly individuals, leaders in the world for what they did here in America. So wallbuilders.com, we have lots of original documents. People can go and read those original documents, relearn the stories. We have lots of resources and books and podcasts and all the social media stuff there is, but definitely wallbuilders.com is a good place to go. Yeah, no, and you can learn about how America became exceptional, the struggles that we've gone through, but that history, for example, our shameful history of Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood encouraging Nazi Germany, that's really sad. It's very sad. And what we know historically is there are some very wicked, sinful, evil moments in America, because like every nation, America's full of people, and people at times do wicked, sinful, evil things. Where America is unique and exceptional is there were always God-fearing people who, by the principles of the Word of God, whenever evil reared its ugly head, the question we should ask is how did the atrocities stop in America and who led the opposition? Without exception, it was always the Christians following the principles of the Bible that fought back. America has stopped evil sooner than almost any other nation in the world. Any atrocity you pick, why did it stop? It was the Christians who used the word of God to fight back and put a stop to it. Well, that's, that's brilliant and it's true and I'm grateful for you sharing that. Thank you, Tim. Thanks so much for having me on today. Here's the reality. We're in an economic war, and the war is going to determine whether or not we go down the path of exceptionalism and continue to be that unique nation on Earth, or we go down the path of totalitarianism 
and we end up like Animal Farm with the elites running everything. I do have a new book, it's called According to Plan, and it explains this difference, but it also explains how if we reintroduce patriotism to the American education system, how we reintroduce respect for the flag and the love of the founding of America and telling the truth, not varnishing it, not whitewashing it, but telling the absolute truth like Wall Builders does, we can bring America back. If when the American young people, the youth in this country today, learn what Wall Builders teaches, they'll understand how great America is and what we should do about it. So learn more at wallbuilders.com. And if you want to get more from this episode, go to economicwarroom.com and download our free economic battle plan. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.